We're continuing on our series, The Armor of God. If you got your Bibles, grab it and open it to, we're only reading one half of a verse this morning. But it's going to be a long sermon, I can't believe it. <laughs> but I'll go quickly. Uh, it's it's uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, the last half of verse 14 is what we're looking at. Let's bow in prayer and just ask God to bless his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its life-changing power. Uh, Lord, we we recognize that the reading of your word washes over us and cleanses us and makes us your servants. And so we ask, Lord, that today as we read your word, that it would be powerful to us, that it would cleanse us, that it would change us, that it would give new insight into what is this breastplate of righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here, present, filling our hearts with knowledge of you. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that you would give me your words to speak in power and in truth. Uh, For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you know, if you live long enough, like I have, (laughs) you find out that the English language changes. It does weird things. And words start evolving and and semantics uh, change. And uh, so... Take the words righteous and wicked, for example. Um, righteous and wicked, you know, they are polar opposites, right? Righteous means good behavior, wicked is bad behavior, and uh, they're, they're essentially antonyms of one another, right? Except that, what I find is that people are using it today, like when they see a really awesome trick, they go, righteous man, totally righteous! And the next guy next to him says, wicked man, totally wicked! And you're like... Righteous, wicked, synonyms? What? What's going on? You know? And then, of course, there's, yo, sick man, but let's not go there. Uh, Language changes. But what I want to tell you this morning is that I'm going to be using these two words in their classic definition, okay? Righteous means holy, right before God. Uh, Doing things God's way. Wicked means uh, against God. Sin, doing things uh, the devil's way, basically. So classic definitions, folks. And today, specifically, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Uh, this is the second piece of the armor of God. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the first piece, the belt of truth fitted around our waist and how important it was that we be in the truth. And it's why we often come here, to find out truth, why we read our Bibles, why we study, uh, why, you know, I went to Bible college for eight years. I mean, we do that because we, we need to know truth. We need to know what is the truth. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to pass some of that knowledge from Bible college on to you. And, uh, and we will grow in the truth. But today we want to talk about uh, the second piece You see, we need this armor because Satan is against us. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy everything that is godly about you. And he wants you to, he wants to drag you off to hell, basically. That's his goal in life, uh, to destroy the works of God. And so we need this armor. We need truth. We also need this breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.14. So Paul is comparing the uh, first century Roman armor to the spiritual battle that we all face. And so the the breastplate would look something like this. Something like that. Chunks of metal all bound together and uh, probably leather underneath so that it wouldn't chafe chafe against you too much. But the whole, what's the point of this thing? Pretty obvious to people. You know, protect the vital organs, particularly the heart. They actually called it the heart protector sometimes. And it's to protect the vital organs of a, of a soldier. If you went into battle without this thing, the chances of you dying would increase exponentially. Because, you know, this thing is supposed to stop arrows, stop uh, sword thrusts, stop javelins, all kinds of things. Very helpful. But if you don't have it, you're totally vulnerable. And the chances of dying are way higher. So, Christians, don't leave home without your breastplate of righteousness. You need it. You have to have it. So we're going to look at, what is this breastplate of righteousness? One of the things, uh, when I looked at this verse, my instant query was, okay, is this talking about the, uh, you know, the positional righteousness that we have in Christ, that Jesus is our righteousness, or is this talking about sort of like the practical righteousness, the day-to-day living thing? And I, I really 
struggled with that. And when I went to, to study on this, I found that some authors were emphasizing the, the righteousness of Christ, and some were emphasizing the practical righteousness, living out the righteousness of Christ. And, I, and, and finally I found one guy, and he put it so well. And I want to share what his words were, because I think they hit the nail on the head. Basically, the breastplate of righteousness is both. And it includes imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. And I love that word imparted righteousness because it recognizes that our right, the righteousness that we have actually isn't our own, but it's been imparted to us. It's been given to us. Imputed, I'm going to explain what these terms mean. What is imputed righteousness? People are like, what? Okay. You don't need to go to Bible college for eight years to figure out what imputed righteousness is. Let me explain it. Um, Basically, it's the divine righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he lived on earth, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned once. He never told off his mother. He never, you know, uh, whatever. He, he lived a perfect life. Um, and so when he died, he paid the penalty of all sin because he didn't have to pay for his own sin. And so God took all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, all the fact that he never sinned, and he imputed, in other words, he put it into our credit. It's, it's like, you know, a bank transfer, you know, from, from Christ's bank to our bank. And suddenly, we are as perfect as Christ in God's eyes. It's, it's kind of humbling, isn't it? It's like, really? I don't feel that holy. I don't feel that righteous. But nevertheless, the Bible says it's true. And guess what also happened at Calvary? He... God took our guilt, our sin guilt, and he imputed that to Christ. In other words, Christ then was added, added to his account was all of our sin. Well, that doesn't seem very fair. No, not very fair at all. But God accepted it as a just transaction. Because Christ was willing to do that, God accepted that transaction as being just the Christ dying for our sins. You know, um, we don't have righteousness on our own. The Bible is very clear. There's no one righteous, not even one. In verse 23, um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's righteous. Nobody can stand up to God's glory. Left to ourselves, we would be completely unacceptable to God. You know, there isn't a, I mean, some of the, Greatest people in the room here, awesome, on their own, they wouldn't be acceptable to God. No one. You know, while we're still sinners, while we're still doing wrong stuff, Jesus died for us. And it means that he imputed that, his righteousness to us. Christ not only shed his blood to remove our sins, his, his righteousness, that perfect obedience, was transferred to us. Next slide. You can see here what I just described. Christ's righteousness is credited to us. Our guilt is credited to Christ. And he died on the cross. I want you to just imprint that in your mind as an understanding of what imputing is. It's a, it's a transaction of giving you know, Jesus all the bad stuff and we get all the good stuff, basically. But God accepted it. Second um, Corinthians 5, verse 21 sums it up really well. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Isn't that an awesome verse? I mean, that is the core of Christianity. And believe me, we absolutely need this transaction to take place. If this transaction has not taken place in your life, then you are still in your sin. God is still uh, angry wrathful against the sin in your life and he will judge you and you will be condemned that's why this is so important that this transaction take place um, the bible says that jesus clothes us with his own righteousness the breastplate of righteousness not only to protect us from the devil but you know that clothing actually protects us from god's wrath the bible says believe it or not I will show you whom you may fear. After it says, you know, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. He says, I'll show you who you should fear. You should fear him that, uh, who after the body. 
imputed righteousness. We need that absolutely in order to face God at the end of our life. If you've never made that transaction, giving your sin to Christ and taking his righteousness, I plead with you, don't wait another day. Don't leave this room until you've made that transaction. It's a very simple transaction. Basically, you you pray. You ask God to take your sins away and tell him that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you ask him to come into your, your life by his Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he will do it every time. If you do that in faith, believing, he will do it every time. And you'll make that exchange. And so if you've never done that, it's never been clear to you, I plead with you, make the exchange today. Jesus tells this compelling story about... Uh, a, a king having this huge wedding feast and he invites all kinds of guests but the guests don't don't bother showing up so then he goes out in the highways and byways and bids them all come in and they all come in and he gives them all this great feast and it, and then he end Jesus ends the parable saying oh and the king saw this one guy who who wasn't dressed properly for the banquet he didn't have his wedding garments on guess he didn't own a suit i don't know my son this morning, he said, you know, what? What's is this a formal event, this wedding of Jessica's, his cousin? And I'm like, yeah. He says, I don't have a suit. You know, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> but you need wedding garments. What are the wedding garments? The wedding garments are the garments of Christ. And, and actually, the, the king comes to this guy and he says, hey, friend, where, where's your wedding clothes? And the guy's just like, uh, he's speechless. And the king says to the servants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Whoa. I'm telling you, you need the righteousness of Christ to be clothed in to go to the wedding banquet in the sky. You need it. No questions. So make sure you do that sometime during your life, preferably today, not tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. <clears throat> so over and over, Paul stresses in Romans that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness has been revealed. You're not going to be made righteous by you know, going to church, reading your Bible, not swearing, not cursing, not fornicating, not doing anything wrong, not lying, not stealing living, giving your money away to the poor, you're not going to make it that way. That's not how you become righteous. That might be practical righteousness, but that is not how you become righteous in God's sight. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. It's a free gift of righteousness and fall short of the glory of God. We're not going to make it on our own. I often use the illustration of, you know, um, we need to be saved is, is almost like trying to swim to Eng- England, you know? Like, there's some really good swimmers, Olympic swimmers, but are they going to make it to England if they try to swim there? Uh, no. And it really doesn't matter whether you're an Olympic swimmer or whether, you, you know, you really can't swim at all. Neither one's going to make it. And that's the way it is with the righteousness of God. We're just not going to make it. We can't make it on our own strength. It's impossible. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. It's a free gift by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Verse 28. For we maintain, what happened to my slides? (laughs) Oh well. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What an awesome thing. Imputation is interesting. And let let me, let me illustrate what imputation is. Um, Back when I was, um, after I was done Bible college, I didn't have a job yet before I came to Ottawa. Uh, so I decided to do what, what God has gifted me with and work. And I, so I, I didn't have a job and, uh, 
you know, the people that were hiring were paying horrible wages, so I decided that I was just going to strike it out on my own. So I started phoning up construction companies and said, you know, I got a, a framing crew and a finishing crew. Um, is there any, do you have any work for me? And, uh, of course, both the crews were the same crew, and they were me and this other guy. <laughs> and that was our crew. Um, and so... Uh, so somebody sent me the plans for this house, huge house, um, and uh, so I, I tried to figure out how long it would take me, and I put in a bid and put the bid in, and I got the contract. I was like, oh no, now what do I do, you know? And uh, so I go to work there on the first day, and, and I start building there. Uh, I have the plan, they, they sent me the plans and everything, and I start working on it, and um, I have to let you know that that they never interviewed me. They never asked me if I'd ever built a house before, and, and I hadn't. And, and they, they, they didn't do their background check very well. And I show up there, and I start building the house. Now, I'm working for Karen Holmes. Karen Holmes is the biggest home builder in Regina. They're huge. In fact, about half the houses in Regina are built by Karen. And the reason that half the houses are built by Karen is because they're the most trusted and respected builder in the city. They're very good at what they do. And they, they guarantee their work, and it's great work. And so everybody loves them. And so if, you're, if, the built is, if the house is built by Karen Holmes, people go, awesome. So I'm working there on the first day, and a truck pulls up, and they start hammering a sign into the ground in front of the house I'm building, right? And I go over to look at it after they've gone, and it says, Karen Holmes. Um, what does it say again? I looked this up. <laughs> Um, designed for living, built for life. Designed for living, built for life. And I'm like, huh, wow. That's imputed glory. Okay? I'm building a Karen home. Designed for living, built for life. Wow. I didn't earn that. I didn't, you know, I didn't work 20 years to get to that place. I was just some Joe that they hired off the street, basically. And all of a sudden, I'm building the Karen home. And it's like, designed for living, built for I'm like, phew. And I did the best I could. And that's what imputed righteousness is like. It's like, we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But we get it. It's just, there you go. I'm a Karen's builder. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I was pretty happy about it. Um, and so God does the same thing for us. In fact, you know, that house that I was building, it had already been sold as a Karen quality home. Already sold. And here I am, you know, this schmuck building this house doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> it was crazy. And that's kind of what God does for us. God has already purchased our home in heaven. We already have the deed. It's already been done by Christ. And we didn't really have anything to do with it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already put the sign out there. (laughs) Saved by grace. Done. Wow. That's awesome. Paid in full, stamped right on our foreheads. Every sin that we ever did or will do is done. We have this imputed righteousness. Now, how does this imputed righteousness act like a breastplate? Like, how does it protect us? Like, what does that do? Well, of course, it protects us from the fires of hell. Praise God for that. We're not going to end up in hell because we we have imputed righteousness. We are righteous before God. But there's some other things it protects us from. It protects us from Satan. Uh, so we need to figure out how do we use the breastplate of righteousness, this, this uh, imputed righteousness, how do we use it? Satan's desire is to conquer us, to destroy us. Uh, he wants to control our hearts. The breastplate protects the heart. He's intent on resurrecting that sinful old nature in us. He's like, you know, every time, you know, uh, some scantily clad woman walks by, you know, the guy's you know, like, oh. And Satan's there like, yeah, yeah, keep your eye over there. And God's going, uh, your Holy Spirit's saying, no, 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 no. 
And there's this little war going on between the righteousness that we have that's been imputed to us and this wickedness that is trying to attack us, trying to grapple us and pull us away. And so there's a battle. He tempts us to think, feel, speak inappropriately and unrighteously. But Christ's righteousness, properly understood, guards our heart. It protects us from two of Satan's favorite schemes to destroy us. Um, Satan wants to tempt us to believe that we don't need the righteousness of Christ. That we are, we're, we're pretty good people. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, wow, that's weird that, you know, like I've never heard that I need that righteousness of Christ. And Satan is right there going, ah, you don't need it. You're, you're a good enough person. You don't need that transaction. You just stay where you are. It's okay. You need the transaction, my friend. You really need it. I don't care how good you are. You could be, you know, Mother Teresa for all I care. But if you haven't had that transaction, not going to happen. You are not part of God's righteousness. But some people feel like they're good enough. They're right. They're self-righteous. And um, Jesus told a parable about a, a Pharisee who felt he was self-righteous, you know. And he he's, comes up to the temple and he's praying, you know. Um, as he, and there, there's him, a Pharisee, and a tax collector. They're at the temple. And the Pharisee's standing there by keeping his distance from the tax collector, you know. And he starts praying, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. So please listen to me. And the tax collector's over here and he's like, oh God, I'm such a sinner. I've ruined everything. I'm... Now, you know, don't get upset with Alan Nelson, our, our in-house tax collector. He's a different type of tax collector, okay? <laughs> These tax collectors are working for the Romans, the occupation force. Our tax collectors work for us, okay? So just get that straight. Every time you pay your taxes, just think, oh, they're working for us. <laughs> um, but the tax collector, the one who's working for the occupation forces, and taking taxes from his fellow Jews to give to the Romans, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says it's the tax collector who was made righteous, not the guy who did all the good deeds. So we need that righteousness. But look what Paul says about himself. I love this. We who worship by the Spirit of God, the glory and glory in Christ, put no confidence in the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the good deeds that he did before. And, and it's not up on the screen, but I want to read some of the stuff that he says about himself. He says, you know, if, if anybody wanted to be righteous on his own, I got it. Okay? I mean, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, that's me. Uh, <clears throat> as to the law, a Pharisee. I mean, I was strict about obeying the law. Everything in the Old Testament, I studied it, I obeyed it. Um, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whoa, that's quite a boast. He's saying, you know, dudes, I, I kept the law. I really did. But this is what he says. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had... I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I can't count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Do you get that? We need to count our good deeds as rubbish. That's just baloney. All my, my serving the poor, my helping the little lady across the street, my mowing the neighbor's lawn, all, all my good deeds, it's, it's, ah, it's just rubbish in comparison with what I need. That I make in order. See, we need to consider what we do rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
So we protect ourselves when Satan attacks and says, oh, man, you're pretty good. You don't need Jesus. You're, you're, you're God will accept you. When he does that, he's going, no, no, no that, that stuff's rubbish. Garbage. Christ is what saves me. We protect ourselves by knowing our righteousness is in Christ alone. And so whenever we start that, we feel that pride come along, oh, I'm a pretty good Christian. You know, God will accept me because I, I, I do a lot of good stuff. I, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I, I lead the boys club. I do this. I do that. I mow the lawn at the church. All that stuff. So, you know, God, God will accept me. Rubbish. 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 <laughs> okay? How can we be proud of ourselves when our entire standing before God has been won for us by somebody dying on a cross? can't beat that. The breastplate of imputed righteousness protects us from the destruction, destructiveness of self-righteousness. But there's another attack that Satan makes on the Christian. His attack is this demonic notion that we need to earn God's love. We need to earn God's respect. This idea that, that somehow we need to do well enough so that God will love us. This is and Satan will come along when we don't measure up to what God is calling us to do. Because, quite frankly, I don't feel like I've ever measured up fully to what God has called me to do and be. So that's pretty much pretty regular occurrence. And Satan comes along as you don't measure up. God's not happy with you. God hates sin, you know. And look, look what you just did. You sinned. So you're just a bunch of rubbish yourself. All these high and mighty words about imputed righteousness. Look what you just did. And you feel terrible. Now the Holy Spirit will lead you into repentance so that you can be forgiven. But the the devil will lead you into despair. I'm worthless, I'm garbage. That's the devil talking. And we don't have to earn God's acceptance. It's already imputed to us. I've seen so many Christians fall into this despair. It's because their heart was not protected by the knowledge of faith in the imputed righteousness of Christ. If you try to resist spiritual despair by you know, going to church more, reading your Bible more, working up your spiritual feelings and special experiences, it's not going to work. This is something we do with our mind. We just understand, I am righteous in Christ. Devil, get lost. I'm righteous. I know I did that, but I'm still righteous in Christ. And I confess my sin, and I move on. And I don't allow the despair to kick in from the devil. You know, when we have the breastplate of imputed righteousness on our, over guarding our hearts, we can tell Satan, I know everything you're saying is true. I, I know that. I'm, I'm, I've done sin. I'm not perfect. I know that. But I look to Christ, not myself, for my righteousness. I don't count on my own ability to measure up. I count on Christ, and God imputes to me Christ's perfect righteousness. Satan, before you can slay me with your spear of doubt and spear of, of uh, despair, you will have to find something unrighteous about Jesus. For that's where my righteousness is. You find something unrighteous about Jesus, then you'll have me. Until then, get lost. Right? Satan can't handle that. Because if I can't find anything wrong in Jesus' righteousness, it's pure, it's holy, it's righteous. The Bible says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? No one. Praise God. We have been made righteous once for all. Get it in our heads. Now, this thing, the thing is that this imputed righteousness is intended to translate into imparted righteousness. 
See, we have righteousness that's in Christ, it's given to us as a gift, but doesn't automatically translate into righteous living. Let me explain the problem. Um, I've been looking around. My, my vehicle has got some problems. My mechanic says it's going to cost $3,000 to fix my vehicle, which is worth about $5,000. And I'm like, mm, really? Maybe I want to get rid of it. So I've been looking around for a pickup truck because I keep damaging my vehicle because I keep using it like a pickup truck. And so I've been looking. And so, you know, I, I, I go to the newspaper and it says this beautiful-looking truck, uh, F-150, beautiful red. It looks really good. And it says, you know, in near-perfect condition, uh, everything's working well. The engine runs great, except it's got a little tick in it. And uh, so, okay, the price is good. So I go over and I, I get there. And, yeah, that's right. The truck looks really nice. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and then I start it up. It does not have a tick. Okay, a tick might be an exhaust leak or a sticking valve or something. It has, like, garbled up gravel inside the engine, <laughs> clanking and banging. And I'm like, whoa, turn it off before it self-destructs the engine. And I said to the guy, did someone diagnose what's wrong with it? And he says, yeah, the oil pressure, it doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, so all the bearings in the engine are shot. The engine is toast, right? Maybe you could just say that in your ad, needs new engine, you know? <laughs> like, that would be nice kind of disappointing. I'm like, okay, thank you very much, but no, thanks. So then I find this other truck. It's perfect. It's got low mileage, so hopefully the engine's fine. The, uh, you know, it looks like it's beautiful and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. It says right on the ad, you know, as good as new. And I'm like, wow, this, this sounds great. And they only want $13,500. That's amazing. Uh, let's go. It's on the other side of Montreal. So I phone them up. I say, so how, what's this truck like? Oh, it's really good. How's it drive? It drives well. Does it have any lights on? No, I don't think so. Uh, is anything wrong with it? No, it's really good. Um, has it ever been used for plowing? No, no, no. So Kendall and I, we, I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this thing, and the two of us, we're going to drive them back, we're going to do all the paperwork, bring, you know, take the money, everything. We get over there, I take it for a test drive, I walk up to it, I'm like, what's wrong with the mirror? There's something wrong with the mirror. It's all clouded, and I get inside, and it's dirty, it's, and the dashboard has holes drilled in it, and I'm like, what are those holes from? And then, and then I go around the front of the truck, and there's big holes in the, in the skirt at the front of the truck, you know, the air dam. Yeah, there's a plow that has been on this thing. I don't know what he was telling me about, and then I asked him about it, and he says, oh no, no that was a, uh, you know, the, the bush brand, bush guard on the front. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> I know plow holes when I see them, you know. And so anyways, I take this thing for a drive. And at first it's okay, and then slowly on I start hearing weird sounds, and then I, I uh, put it in four-wheel drive and gave it gas, and the thing sputters and dies, or didn't quite die, but it wouldn't go. I'm like, oh, this... and I turned to Kendall, and I'm like, I'm not buying this. <laughs> and we drove two and a half hours on false advertising. It was pretty frustrating. I'm not doing that again, I don't think. <laughs> no more driving across the country to pick up the good deal. Uh, maybe not so good. But you know what? That's a little bit like us. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are Christians, little Christs. And what do people find when they find us? Do they find the righteousness of Christ as advertised? Or do they find something else completely? In fact, when God views us, what does he find? Does he find the righteousness of Christ? Yes, he does. But he's not unaware when our daily living doesn't match our positional place in Christ. He's not unaware of that. And it can cause problems in our relationship with God. Big problems. Major problems. <clears throat> You know, the imputed righteousness is the foundation of our daily righteousness or imparted or practical righteousness. The Christian has been, by sovereign act of God, made righteous in Christ. He, is, he or she is now responsible to act and live out what is already true in them, in Christ. We must let the righteousness of Christ show through our attitudes, our words, our actions. You see, the Holy Spirit imparts to us what's necessary to connect 
our actions with our position in Christ of righteousness. They get connected in Christ. Um, he gives us what's necessary to become Christ-like. He gives us what's necessary to become holy and obedient to Christ so that we think, feel, and, and speak correctly and righteously as our Lord did. I mean, we've been studying Ephesians. Remember the, the first half of the book was all about you know, our position in Christ, in, in the heavenly realms. We're seated with Christ. We're already at home with Christ. And so the first half of the book is all about position. But then starting in in chapter 4, he starts talking about now living it out. This is what the whole book is all about. And that's why I believe that when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, he's not just talking about the imputed righteousness, but he's also talking about the imparted righteousness, the righteousness that he helps us maintain in our day-to-day living. Um, in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 1, the very first verse, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. <clears throat> you were taught, in verse 22, where you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted with its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. You see where Paul's getting at? He's saying, yes, positionally you were made holy, but now let's work at getting that holiness worked out in your daily life. In uh, chapter 5, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live, live as children of the light. Excuse me. Again and again, Paul makes the same point all through all of his writings. All the books written by Paul, they're filled with it. Romans 6, 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you should obey its lust. Neither present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Now you see, I've, I've marked out all the words that are, are verbs. These are action words. These are things we do. We work in conjunction with the righteousness that's been imparted to us to be actually be righteous. <clears throat> Remember that house I was building for Karen Holmes? Well, while I was building it, every once in a while, one of the people from Karen would come and would check out my work. <laughs> and then he would, he would make little pointers. Hey, I think you should, you know, nail all those nails in, or, uh, you need a few more nails in the sheeting, or, uh, oh, on these supporting walls, you don't have enough, you're, you're spaced them two feet apart, you need, those need to be 16 inches apart. Oh, sheesh, great, gotta rebuild the wall. Um, but he didn't do it in an accusatory way. He did it in a friendly way. He said, you know, you need to build this according to our standards. In fact, uh, the plans had called for a 34-inch door for the back door. And when the door arrived, it was 36 inches. Now, you always leave about an inch gap anyways, so it was only an inch out of whack. So what I did is I just pried the boards apart and shoved the door in and put it in. And when the Cairns guy came, he said, uh, that's not going to work. And I'm like, it's structurally sound. It's going to be covered with drywall and siding. No one will ever know. And he goes, yeah, but we don't build houses like that. (laughs) Right? He's looking out for his name. How about you? That sin in your life? God comes, God's spirit comes along and says, We don't build houses like that. We don't build lives like that. Crookedness in them. Things a little bit off. That's not the way we do it. We build righteousness into lives. And it's the Holy Spirit just coming alongside us going, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. You need to do it this way. In fact, I, I would I would say that the imputed righteousness, you might be wondering, how, I mean, imparted. Imparted, how is it imparted? Think of it this way. When I learned to be a carpenter, I worked with this master carpenter. He was amazing. 
and he would tell me exactly what to do. He said, okay, go get two boards, nice and straight, 14 foot long. And I go look through the pot. I'm like, how do I know if they're straight? They all look straight to me. And he goes, oh, no, no, you take the board like this. You look down on it like this and see, you can see if it's got curve. Oh, yeah, okay, I see that curve. Yeah, okay. And he showed me how to find some straight boards. Okay, now you take these two boards, you put them beside each other, you measure with your tape measure. And he showed me exactly how to measure so that the, the plywood sheeting that would go on there would always, the butts would always end on a two-by-four. And he showed me exactly how to do that. It's, it's kind of tricky. Most people don't know how to do that. And it's called cent- on center, two foot on center or 16 inch on center. That's what it's called. And he showed me how to do that. And then he showed me how to take each board, look for the crown of each board and place it the same way when you're building the wall. And then he showed me how to nail the thing together. And he, he left me to do it. And I would do all the work, but he was always there checking to make sure I'd done it right. And it, that's what the imparted righteousness is like. It's like having a master builder, a master righteousness builder, always with you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's alongside you, and he's just going, no, 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 that's not the way you do that. You don't lie on your income tax. That's not how we work. We tell the truth on our income tax. We, we do it that way. The Holy Spirit's there. You know, like, no, you know, you can't do that. You, Telling the truth, righteousness, all that is always there. He's like a master builder showing us how to live our life. And that's why I love that word imparted. It's not, it's still not our own righteousness. It's still God's righteousness. But He is built, and He's right there with us, building it into our life, helping us be that, that person, the righteous person. <clears throat> we need divine assistance. The, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do you have power, love, self-discipline? That's from the Holy Spirit. That's the master life builder, the master righteousness. He's being your protective plate. Um, Ezekiel 36 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to obey my ordinances. God has done that. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we know the truth inertly. I mean, mean, not inertly. What is the word I'm looking for? Inherently. We just know the truth. It's just there because His Holy Spirit's with us. The Bible says that there's a war going on in us, okay? And then Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in, in opposition to one another so that you do not do as you please. There's a battle going on. Make no mistake about it. But God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we can have righteousness as a breastplate. <clears throat> Sometimes you may, may feel like this guy. Next slide. You see my breastplate of righteousness anywhere? You know, that righteousness that we have imputed to us, sometimes it seems to go missing. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, I know I've got it imputed, but it doesn't seem to be working out in my life. And so we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus said. The good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. You have the righteousness of Christ. If you're a Christian today, you have imputed righteousness. It's there in your chest. But you know what? Sometimes we take our chests of, of storage in our heart and we fill it with all kinds of junk. We fill it with, you know, looking for a truck. It just fills it right up. You know, all, all day long I'm thinking about a truck. You know, uh, finally I, I had to give it up and just say, I oh, forget that. <laughs> Hopefully God will keep my, my current truck running a little longer. Um, but yeah, our hearts, can we can fill it with wrong things. Watch, watch terrible movies, uh, hang out with people that have no regard for the truth, and we start filling our trust with dirt. You know, and if you, if you take the, the righteousness of God, God is your breastplate of imputed righteousness, it's at the bottom of your chest, and then you start shoveling dirt on top of it, then when it's time to act righteously and you go looking in your chest for the gold and all you can find is dirt, 
what's going to happen? Not a whole lot of righteous living going to be happening. But if you fill your chest with the Word of God, with the prayers of the saints, with fellowship, with the study of God's Word, with preaching, teaching on, on about God, guess what? When the temptation comes, you're going to go into your chest and there's going to be gold and silver in there. And you're going to be able to resist the temptation when it comes. <clears throat> Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. We need to watch over our heart. I want to close with my probably my favorite passage of Scripture. I've been sharing this passage for a long time, but it speaks about the breastplate in a, in a unique way. Okay, It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to, to 11. And this is what it says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Did you notice in here it's saying that we have everything we need for a godly life? We can escape the evil desires? God has given us that. That's the imputed righteousness. That's, the, that's God's part. And he's given it to us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, his promises, all these things so that we can escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay? But the verse does not end there. We move on to um, imparted righteousness. Verse 5, next verse. For this very reason. For what reason? Because God has given us everything we need. For that reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Faith is the first thing we have in our salvation. We believe. And so we need to add to that goodness, or in other words, righteousness. You don't just have faith. You need to add. And look, whose responsibility is this? Who's making the effort? We are. Okay. Goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. So reading your Bible, studying. And not to knowledge, self-control. Taking precautions so that you know how to live, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Godliness, mutual affection. To mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being what? Ineffective and unproductive. Guess what, folks? We need a breastplate of righteousness that is not only imputed righteousness, but also actual day-to-day uh, imparted righteousness working together with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can be, won't be ineffective and we'll be, and not be unproductive. The devil wants us to be unproductive. He says, oh, I don't want you to have, have a good ministry, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop some, some sin in your life, some lying, some cheating, some stealing, some lust, some adultery. Drop that in there, and that will just destroy your ministry. <laughs> I don't want you to be effective. So we need the breastplate. That's what we need. Then, but the verse goes on. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to what? Confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election. See, Satan is always condemning you. But when we allow God's righteousness to take over, it confirms that we, in fact, are saved. When we start behaving like God, it confirms that we are God's. In fact, the Bible says that we have been given a a deposit, a guarantee, guaranteeing our salvation. You know what the deposit is? It's the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is just sitting idly in our lives... Out of the question, if we're grieving the Holy Spirit by sinning all the time, and he's backed off into a little corner, he's still in our life, but he's not doing anything because he's been grieved over and over and over by our sin. you got to start wondering, do I even have the Holy Spirit? Am I really a Christian at all? And this is not the devil accusing us. This is just reality. Do I have the Holy Spirit in my life? And if so, why is he not making a difference? When we have the breastplate of righteousness, when our, when our life matches our position in Christ, 
We have great confidence. We, we confirm that we're elected. We confirm that we're called. That we're, we're children of God. It's awesome. It's a great feeling. And then he says, notice in the next, next slide, and you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is awesome. If we have both the positional righteousness and the uh, imparted righteousness, we will walk with Christ. We won't ever stumble. And we'll have a rich reward. And guess what? If we uh, hide iniquity in our hearts, the Bible says the Lord will not hear our prayers. You know, if you don't hold your wife in high esteem, the Lord will not answer your prayers. So, in other words, we need the breastplate of righteousness in our life so that our prayers will get answered. You know, if you... The Bible says that if we hold bitterness and anger and unforgiveness to somebody, Jesus says, if you do that, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. Whoa, that's pretty serious if God doesn't start forgiving us. If God stops forgiving us because we're bitter or angry at some other believer, and God goes, if you're not going to forgive, I'm not going to forgive you either. There's a major problem in our relationship with God. It breaks down. We need the breastplate of, of imparted righteousness to cover us so that, so that we have a relationship with God. The devil wants to destroy your relationship with God. And so he's doing everything to rip that breastplate off of you so he can get a shot in with his sword and ruin your relationship with God. We need that. The Bible says if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we have broken our relationship with God. Or Satan starts destroying our faith. Quench not the Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you get that we have the imputed righteousness? We also are invited into having this lived out, um, imparted righteousness. Uh, like, like a master craftsman imparting his knowledge to his trainee, God wants to work with you to create in you the character of Christ. And so, my friends... As the scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask that you would put on us the breastplate of righteousness. We pick it up, Lord. We call out to you that our daily living might be a reflection of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us a reflection of his righteousness in us. Oh, Lord, may we fully understand this, and may we live in it. Lord, we pray that you would fight the devil's schemes in our life, and that you would give us this righteousness, uh, both imputed and imparted. Lord, be with us daily. That's the part we struggle with the most, Lord. We get the imputed, but, Lord, we struggle with the imparted. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be with us daily, imparting more and more grace that we might live righteously in your sight. For, Lord, it's so vital for us to withstand the temptations of the devil. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.